at the end of the day, even though it might seem like or might feel like they're, they're buying you, really they're buying the end result. And what they're trusting is your ability to, to find the right people. They're trusting in your process and your methodology, your way of doing things and, and all of that. Welcome to episode nine of season six of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, AKA Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified each and every time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice. If it isn't, let me know. I'll get it there. If you've heard the show before, leave us a review on iTunes or drop us a comment in Breaker or CastBox. Today's co-host is Brian Castle. I've been chatting with Brian now for five plus years. I discovered Brian when I searched for ways to stop being a generalist developer and become a productized service provider. Brian is founder of Process Kit and Audience Ops. He's also founded and sold Restaurant Engine and Hotel Propeller. He started his career as a freelance web designer, transitioned into building productized businesses, and now is built a few small products as well. In this episode, we dive into how to transition and find your first client when you are going from a generalist service-based business into a productized service. We talk about pricing strategies during that transition. And Brian shares something that's a bit unexpected and counterintuitive for those that are providing services to clients. This is a great one. So let me just shut up and here's Brian. Hey, Feasters. Welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I'm here today with Brian Castle. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, it was funny. I looked back in our email the first time we... I always like to do this, like, see when we first connected, like, offline. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, 2014. Oh, wow. <laughs> was, I was like, wow, five years ago. That's, a, yeah. that's quite a long time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for this one. I know that you have uh, a wealth of experience in the realm of pricing. But before we dive into that, what are you up to right now? What are you working on that's, that's, that's fun and exciting? Uh, yeah, I mean, right now in 2019, uh, really almost all my time is going to a new product called Process Kit. It's a software product. And, and I've been spending all of the past year, a little bit more than a year now. It's actually a pretty big transformation for myself. I basically dedicated all that time to becoming a full stack developer. Hmm. Up until about a year ago, I was always a front end designer developer, do HTML, CSS, WordPress did that for like 10 plus years, but building an app from start to finish, there was always that wall where I just need to start to outsource the backend development mm -hmm. to someone. And I got a little frustrated with that. That's, that's a whole other story. But about a year ago, I was like, well, my main business audience ops affords me a lot of free time. So why don't I just invest that time into learning? And I, and I decided to learn uh, Ruby on Rails. Mm -hmm. And I basically spent the past year becoming a Ruby on Rails product builder. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a designer first, but, but I'm actually at, now as a designer, I'm actually able to build 
products with that. And so I built a couple couple smaller things before this, but I've been spending all of 2019 building a product called Process Kit, which is for building processes and starting to delegate to your team and, uh, and, and basically running your processes on your repeatable projects. That's essentially what, what Process Kit is for. And as we record now, we're in, we're in August and going into September. I mean, I, I've been rolling it out to the first users and, and getting the first customers on that. But besides that, I mean, I'm, uh, I continue to run Audience Ops, which is a productized service company. We've got a really great team of uh, freelancers and people running that. That's a blog content as a service. Um, I really don't spend a whole lot of time in that business at all, but it is highly systemized, productized, and it goes pretty well. Um, yeah, and I'm doing some podcasts here and there in between. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a couple things. What made you choose Ruby, Ruby on Rails? Yeah, I, when I first decided like, okay, it's time for me to actually learn to code using something, I, I spent a good month or two kind of exploring the different options, the different popular frameworks and languages out there. For me, it really came down to either PHP and Laravel or Ruby on Rails. And, you know, I, I didn't want to go to like the new, the newer, trendier frameworks, you know, like I don't know, like Vue.js and, and mm -hmm. React and like that. First of all, it's probably too complex for me. And second of all, I don't trust the newer stuff. I, I want it to be around. Like, so I, I decided to stick to boring, old, but tried and true and very popular frameworks because I know mm -hmm. that those would be easier to learn because there's a huge community around them. I settled on Rails because it's basically in version six now. When I started, it was in version five. But you look at like a view or something, that's in like version two or something. I don't, I don't even know. But it's just younger, you know. So I, I wanted to go to one of these more mature frameworks. I started with PHP and Laravel and, and went through some tutorials on that. And because I've, I had worked with PHP through WordPress for years, but I actually found that a little bit more difficult to pick up and I could follow the tutorials, but I, I had a hard time going and creating something of my own based on what I learned. So then I, I did a few tutorials with, with Ruby and, and Rails and that for whatever reason, I was, I was able to get up and running and building my own simple ideas much quicker. Mm -hmm. And so, and so then I just kind of committed to that stack mm -hmm. and, uh, and I love it. You know, I, I think it's fantastic. You know, what people think that like Ruby on Rails is like dead or not popular anymore today in 2019. Yeah, it's not true. I mean, I think it's fantastic and there still is a very awesome community around it. So yeah, before I entered the WordPress space, I was a Ruby on Rails developer and I love Ruby on Rails. Like I just, yeah, I don't know. It's elegant. It's like you said, it's, I don't know. I was the same thing. Like I came from Java development and and custom PHP work before there were frameworks on top of PHP and like just Ruby on Rails for whatever reason, like you, like you could wrap your own abstract ideas into an application yeah. really easy. I don't know why, what, what it is about that, but it just made it so much easier. Yeah. And kind of like a, as like a, I'm pretty much a newbie when it comes to backend code or develop or databases and, and stuff like that. And so Rails is so readable. Mm -hmm. It's easy to learn, but it's also like, even if I haven't coded something before, it's like, if I just take a guess at what the, what the syntax probably is, chances are that's pretty much it, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, they make it in such a way that it's like, it reads as sentences. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I know, and you mentioned a little bit that you first were a designer and you had your own services and all that. And then you move, started moving into productized 
businesses. Um, that's kind of how I found you back in 2014 was mm-hmm. uh, I was looking to figure out a way that I could productize my service because I was very much a generalist developer and reinventing the wheel every time a new product, a new customer came in. And I, so I was trying to uh, figure out a way to productize. And the listeners always ask me, there's a lot of times they'll ask me like, how do you productize a custom service? Mm-hmm. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I get that question all the time too. And um, there's a few things to, to think about. I mean, number one, moving into a productized business of any kind, it does require some some thought and, and some intentionality around like, I'm I'm setting out to change my business. So probably just like I, I did for many years, I, I served clients, all different shapes and sizes. I did all, I was a freelance web designer for many years and I did all sorts of different types of websites, e-commerce, membership, blogs, brochure websites, like whatever it was, I, I did it. And at a certain point, you do need to, to say, okay, I'm going to start to focus on a certain type of customer and a certain type of solution to some problem that they have you know, rather than doing everything and anything. So that, I mean, that's, that's the first thing is like, and, and this is certainly not a change that that should happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and you shouldn't just ditch all of your revenue and, and projects just to start on this new path. But it's something that you can be intentional about and say, you know, over the next year, I'm going to really start to focus on just working with universities and making the best possible solution for a university website. Mm. And then you can, once you standardize that, then, then you can start to actually build a business around that. You can build processes, you can hire people to fill very specific roles and and things like that. Um, But I mean, it, when you think of a productized service, it doesn't have to literally be a cookie cutter or a template, you know, solution. Sometimes templates do factor into it and that makes things faster and streamlined, but the actual work that you're producing and that you're delivering to a client, it can be a hundred percent. It probably should be a hundred percent unique and original. I mean, my business audience ops, we do blog content as a service. Every article that we write is obviously original. Mm -hmm. We don't duplicate content. It's not like we you know, we're not working off of template articles. You know, we have a, a writer who literally researches, comes up with a, a unique topic just for a certain client, does the research on that topic, writes 1500 words on it, creates a unique lead magnet around it. Like all of that is unique custom work. But the difference is that we're producing that in a very standard, streamlined, predictable way. So like we always have the same time estimates. It's not even an estimate. We, we know exactly to the day, like how, how many days it's going to take us to, to produce an article for a client. And we know it goes from a writer to a copy editor, to an assistant, to the manager who sends off the email to edits. And then we follow the same procedure for the creative process, but the output is original, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, the other question that, that comes up around that is also like, well, my client's want to work with me because I'm so talented or they trust me or they think they, they believe in my personal skill and, and they, they won't trust or they won't buy my, what my business offers. They, they want the person mm-hmm. and you can grow out of that too. I, I've done it. I mean, anybody can, can do it and, and you see this happen all the time. And, and I think the thing is 
at the end of the day, even though it might seem like or might feel like they're they're buying you, really they're buying the end result. Right. So you can put together people who are even more talented than than you are at the thing. I mean, I I wouldn't write articles for my clients and they wouldn't want me writing their articles because our writers are so much better than I am, you know? Right. And what they're trusting is your ability to to find the right people. They're trusting in your process and your methodology, your way of doing things and, and all of that. Brian's first point in this whole transition, this whole process is to intentionally work with one particular client and find the best solution to deliver to that client. He goes on to say that you shouldn't ditch all of your work either. That's a big myth out there in productizing your services. But what he says is that over time, the focus of your intentional work will start to swing your business towards becoming that go-to resource for that particular client. This is the most asked question I get around productizing services as well as deciding to niche down. Not going to lie here, it takes a ton of work. Nobody said it was easy. To be honest, for me anyway, it felt like I had a side hustle again. If you want worksheets, exercises, and the ability to create that laser focus and precise solution and not have it take years like myself and Brian, Head on over to feastcourse.com today. As a member, you'll get the processes, the templates, not only to figure out who your ideal client is and the services that you can provide for them, but you'll learn how to figure out the price to put on those services. That makes it a complete no-brainer for the client. You'll also learn how to systematize and productize the bits and pieces of your business so you know exactly how to deliver your solution. I want to invite you to check out Feast. If you use the code PRODUCTIZE at checkout, you get your first month for only $20. Feast is the community and resource hub for developers and designers ready to get off that project searching hamster wheel and actually run the business that you set out to build. Feast helps position you in the market with what you do, who you help, and helps you build out all of those processes and systems. Your business isn't the same as everyone else's. I get that. When you become a member of Feast, you get personalized guidance from me. It is essential to meet you where you are and make sure that you are getting the exact tools so that you don't get lost in that shuffle. The moment you sign up, we're going to have a chat so that I can create a custom syllabus of resources within Feast to meet you where you are. If you wanna stop chasing that next project all the time so that you can start living your life, go to feastcourse.com today and use the code PRODUCTIZE at checkout and your first month is only $20. That's essentially how I've shaped my business is that everything else around it. It's a very standard process of how clients come in, how they're managed, how they're onboarded and offboarded, the delivery, all of the rest of it. All of that is very process oriented. It's just the actual work is different. Right. And it could be different services in there, uh, all of it based around certain, not just requirements from the client, but budgets, timelines, and, and et cetera. Yeah. When somebody is thinking, right, so you 
if they're a designer or they are a developer and they're definitely building out bespoke projects at the current time, you said that it's obviously not an overnight thing. You and I both know that. How can you then start to say, okay, I, I can't cut off my revenue. I, you know, that's like, then I need to pay bills and all the rest of it. But how can you be intentional about saying, okay, I'm only going to work with universities, let's say, and turn away all of the other work yeah. so that I can start building out the business in that way. How would you suggest people start to approach that? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I don't think, you know, you necessarily have to turn away business, at least not in the beginning. Um, but the idea is that as you put in more work to attract or, or talk to more of the, of that ideal customer, the universities or the restaurants or whoever it's going to be, that work should over time crowd out the other work, mm. you know, and, and then you have the, the luxury of turning away business because you have too much business coming in over here and it's, and it becomes easier to attract those customers because you're putting all this work into marketing to that ideal customer rather than the other customer. And, and the other thing to keep in mind is that if you start to be intentional about selling a solution to a very specific type of customer who has a specific problem, the sales process becomes a lot easier than just working with anybody. Because if you work with anybody, you probably get a bunch of referrals from clients. And, and those always come with a certain level of trust because somebody personally introduced them to you. But you still need to have this long drawn out conversation, maybe series of conversations, write a custom proposal, figure out what they want. The client never knows what they really want. They need to figure out how many hours is, is it going to take from you and, and when is it going to be delivered and you got to define all the scope and all that. Compare that to a, we'll, we'll just keep going with this example. A, a somebody who works at a university needs a new website for one of their departments. They come to your your uh, website or they hear you speak somewhere or, or whatever. And, and everything that they're seeing and hearing from you speaks to the needs, the unique needs of, of a university. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what those would be, but like maybe, right. <laughs> maybe they need to like, um, uh, they, they need a way to, to show a, a large number of academic programs that students can choose from. If you're speaking to that problem, then, then somebody just comes and discovers you or hears about you. They're reading your content. They're hearing from you and they're, and they're saying like, oh yeah, this person gets me. Mm -hmm. They know me. They know what I'm going through because they're pointing it out right here. And so since they know me so well, it's implied that they have, that they know the answers. They know the solution to this. And so right there, it puts you miles ahead of any other competitors because it's like, am I going to buy from a generalist or am I going to buy from the person who literally designed their whole business to serve people just like me, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a ton of questions on different transition points of pricing and how you think about these sort of things. But before we do that, and I mean, your professional career has had shifts in focus. So I'm curious to know what your defining moment in life so far is, and it may not even be a part of your career. I don't, I don't know, but. Yeah. Uh, that's a, it's a big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> So obviously, uh, you know, having kids, I have two little kids, three and five years old, and that's, I bet a lot of your guests probably point to that as, as their answer. <laughs> um, uh, it certainly was for me and, you know, because, and it, I guess just thinking about that, I have a, I have a more interesting event that I'll talk about in a second, <laughs> but the, uh, I've been self-employed for, I don't know, going on 12 years now. So more than the first half of that, I didn't have kids. And now, now I do, I could definitely point to that as being, I be, I definitely became more focused after having kids 
and maybe a little bit more strategic about the about what I choose to work on. Maybe some of that is just having experience too. But um, I mean, the other thing just practically is like, as, as any parent probably knows, is, is like when you have your work time, that is gold because you don't have all the free time that you used to have. And so when I'm here in the office, I'm making these hours count <laughs> because <laughs> I, when I get out of the office, I, there's, I'm not going to get a lot done for the rest of the night. So compared to, you know, before kids, I, I could work all night if I wanted to, but that's not really an option now. Um, so the other, the other one that I think about actually a lot is the time is the, is when I decided to become a freelancer. Hmm. This was January, 2008 is when I left a, a web design agency. I was working there full time and then I became a freelance web designer, uh, in New York. And, um, the, what, the reason why I keep thinking about that, especially more recently, is that if I had not decided to go freelance then, I'm not sure that I ever would have mm. uh, because I went freelance and then everyone knows like later that year, 2008 was the economic crash. Right. If I had held on to that job for like one more year and assuming I wasn't laid off or something, I would have held on to that job. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I, would, right. I wouldn't have gone freelance in, in the middle of the great recession, you know? Right, so. Right. But I did, and this I, I went freelance almost a year before the, the recession really hit. And uh, uh, in some ways, you know, that sort of helped my freelance career grow a little bit in the, in the first and second year because a lot of these companies were not hiring employees, but they were hiring freelancers, you know. Mm, that's interesting, yeah. And so I'm just glad that that happened that, at that time. Uh, and, and also because I was young at the time and, and I didn't have a mortgage, wasn't married, didn't have kids. So I, I think that was a good time to get out on my own and, and then spend a few years trying to figure it out and, and stay, stay above water and everything. I have a lot of friends who are still employed at jobs now and have little kids and they're in their 30s and 40s and they're trying to make that switch now. It's just impossible. Right. It's not impossible, but... It's a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot harder. You know, I, I mean, the salary that I was giving up was like nothing back in my twenties. Mm. So it's, these people are trying to replace a six figure income. It's just so hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. On the personal front, that super focus is like, I, I don't know. I, I felt like I was focused before, <laughs> before I had my first son. And it was like this again, like even with the second one, it was like, boom, all right, we need to focus. Right. And same yes. thing. So that's a productivity hack for you right there. Just have a kid. <laughs> yeah. Or multiple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, that's interesting about the, the recession too, because I, I went full time in 2010 and yeah. left and all that. And I was definitely, and now that you mention it uh, as far as how companies were hiring, yeah, I, I was basically at a tipping point where I was only sleeping about three hours and at day, essentially, like where I was working right. full-time hours during the morning and afternoon and then working all night until like 3 a.m. and then waking up again. Um, and that that's that was my tipping point. I was like, okay, well, this is the time. Go full-time. Yep. And they were. And I was getting plenty of clients at that time while most people were losing jobs at that point. So Right. Yeah. It was kind of a weird, weird transition time there for sure. Yeah. So based off of your experiencing services work and then building out a productized service and now products as well. And this is going to be a really big question, but 
how does your mindset shift from the complexities of, of pricing between all of those three different spaces? The pricing is so hard. It seems so easy on the surface. Like you just oh, pick a price, you know? Um, and so, sometimes it is just, for, at least for me, it's kind of like gut feel, but it is really hard. And, and I think it's even harder for if you have a, if you're trying to price a product than pricing services, it's really strange, but like with selling services, you can charge a lot more in terms of dollar amounts. But at least in my experience, that's easier to, uh, to ask for a higher dollar amount and actually easier to close a big contract than it is to sell a $49 a month software product. You know, um, it's, it's really strange, but it's actually a lot more difficult to, to sell a lower <laughs> price product, it seems, uh, or at least to sell enough of them for it to be a significant business. Mm. I mean, with, with pricing services, obviously you, you can't, especially if you're just straight freelancing or consulting and it's, it's not a very well-defined productized service, then you can, and you probably should fluctuate your prices and learn over time. And, and over time you should probably be increasing your prices too. Right. When I start, when I went freelance in, in 2008, I mean, I think I remember my very first freelance client project was like a whole website for like 800 bucks, something like that. <laughs> and and, and I mean, you know, by a couple of years after that, I was doing similar websites for twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, you know? Mm -hmm. But so over time during doing, doing the freelance services stuff, it was just a gradual increase of pricing. Um, it wasn't super scientific or anything like that. It was just like, um, sometimes it was just like, Hey, let me, let me, let me try to, to price this a thousand or five thousand dollars more than I did the last one and see what happens. And because yep. I, because I was doing like different proposals for clients at that, at that time. Um, the other thing is like, as you get busier, you can become more selective, which can just mean you'll just start quoting higher prices to naturally only win fewer, but higher priced projects. That's, mm -hmm. that's generally how, how that goes. Um, but then later as I, as I did, as I started to get a little bit burned out on the generalist project work and I wanted to go to more productized stuff, I was getting into building my restaurant engine business and things. Um, at that point I started investing my own time, like a lot of my own time into these products or productized services that were not necessarily off the ground yet. This is another thing that a lot of freelancers have a, a hard time with, I think, is investing your time into these projects that may or may not bring you any cash whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, even like what you're doing here, this podcast, I, I just think that more freelancers should do things like this, whether it's a podcast, putting out a book, creating a product, you know, learning a new skill, like just invest your time in stuff that doesn't pay. That sounds so, uh, weird, especially for somebody who charges by the hour, but it's so worth it because you're going to leverage that. You're, even if the thing that you put out doesn't do anything, you learned a ton of stuff and now you can do another thing and you'll, and you'll probably do it better mm -hmm. or, or you put content out and maybe you can attract an audience and then that can make things easier. So, um, I highly recommend investing your time and not being worried about, you know, making, making money from that time. Obviously you need to pay the bills, but if you want to change, if you're happy doing project work, that's great. Mm -hmm. If you're not, and you want a better or bigger or different type of business, then you will need to invest extra hours into something else. And that, 
that might mean cutting down project work so that you can sure, work yeah. a week or, or it might mean working late at night or working on weekends. I mean, I did that for years, you know, before, before Absolutely. Working. but the other thing related to pricing that I did during the, during that time, especially going into restaurant engine was I intent, I very intentionally quoted higher project prices for my client work so that I could take on fewer projects and have more free time to throw into this new uh, startup idea. Mm -hmm. And then it got to a point where I sort of, I like winnowed it down as I phased out the client work. So I I kept the two or three really good uh, high paying clients and didn't take any other projects. And then it went down to just one high paying client for like the last six months of it. And then when that finished up, it was like, okay, I, I think I have the other thing to a point now where I don't really need the client work. Yeah. So when you started to then productize your services, we'll get the process get in a minute. Cause I think that that's a little different too, as well. When you started to productize your services, how aligned or I guess how aligned were your existing services that you were providing to your clients to the new business? Yeah. I mean, I, I personally took a little bit of a weird path to get into it because I started uh, with this business called Restaurant Engine, which was a web website builder built on WordPress, but it was for the restaurant industry. And when I started out that business, I didn't really start it intentionally as a productized service business. I didn't really have a concept of what that was. Um, I was just trying to build a, a hosted website, like a SaaS mm. type of service. And, and I was a web designer, WordPress person. So that seemed like the easiest path for me to have like a hosted subscription service that I knew how to build, or, or at least I could work with some people and, and, and get it built. But what I learned in the first year of that was restaurant owners, small businesses, they, they don't want this fancy website builder that they can come in and create their own websites. They want it done for them. So then I started offering that as a service to get people to have their website built very efficiently because it's built around our templates and stuff. And then, um, and then get them onto this subscription service but then I hired a team to, to handle all that setup work and, and design work for clients. And that's what sort of led me down the path of like, oh, this is actually more of a productized service than it is a, a software thing, even though we were using our software a little bit. So that's sort of how I came to it originally. And then I, and then I continued to scale out that business using processes and people and, and all that. And then that business I, I sold in 2015. And the only reason I was a- even able to sell that business was because it was built around these systems and processes and has a team and it basically ran without me. Um, and, and then a new owner is able to continue on with that business without me being in the business. That's, that's mm-hmm. the whole idea of, of building systems and processes. And then the next, the next one that I started right around that time in 2015 was audience ops. Um, and that, that time around, that's when I really went like, like I doubled down on that idea of, okay, I'm going to build a productized service business from day one and build a team. And I I didn't build a large team from day one, but I did uh, start selling it as a service from day one with processes and a very clear value proposition and everything. Mm. So with the value proposition, is that how you came up with the pricing because you could deliver on a specific ROI for the client or? Yeah. So so pricing for a productized service is difficult because you need to balance a few different things. Like number one, it has to be a good value for your target customer. You know, you could sell the same exact service to 10 different types of customers and it's only going to be really valuable to like one or two of them. 
you know, so, so we sell blog content as a service, you know, the average plan is like 2000 bucks a month. And for a lot of people, that's, that's way too much money mm-hmm. for a lot of other people. That's, that's peanuts and it's too cheap and they, they won't buy content for that cheap. But our niche is, is like the, the software founder, the, the small growing software company and, and they see it as a pretty good value. And mm-hmm. so, so you need to align that value with your target customer. The other thing in a service business, of course, is you need to understand your costs. So I needed to figure out how much does it cost to have a team of a writer and a copy editor and an account manager and an assistant handling all the pieces that go into producing every article that we do. And then, you know, building in profit margin and yeah. And then just like, how, how can we make all those pieces work really, really efficiently so that, so that this thing can run predictably and continue to scale and, and grow and all that. Mm. Yeah. There's so many questions. <laughs> and you said that there were, it was, there was challenges and there was some things that you had to overcome. What were they? Yeah. I mean, there's always challenges. I have challenges today, you know? Um, but, uh, so like in which business? When you went from restaurant engine to audience ops and you were said, Hey, I could $2,000 is value for that one person out of 10. We found out who our niche was based off of that. Right. I mean, initially, did you go and seek out those software founders or was it? Yeah. So it was, um, I, I, and this is what I recommend to everyone is start where you already have inroads, you know, don't try Mm -hmm. to reinvent. And I learned that the hard way really with, with restaurant engine, I was selling to restaurants. I don't personally know any restaurant owners. I don't have any connection to that industry or any recognition or anything like that. Like, and it was an uphill battle. I had to, it took me years to like get content and and SEO and things like working for that business to start to get customers. So with audience ops, when I started that going into it, I was like, I definitely want to sell something, a, a product or a service to the people that I'm already connected to anyway. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's primarily software founders and other service owners. And I definitely wanted to make sure that I'm solving a problem that they have. And that was something that I heard, like literally going to conferences, I would hear people talk about how they're having a hard time figuring out how to hire writers and and how to, you know, get content done for their, for their startup and everything. And, um, and that, that was something that I was hearing. It was something that I had already figured out in my previous business. I hired writers and got a system going for that. So I was like, well, that's, that's a solution that I know how to, how to deliver. I can put those pieces together and then I just needed to figure out the price point. And so the first step that I did was I emailed about 20 or 30 personal contacts. So people who I knew personally and they knew me personally, who were basically in, in that industry and I, I thought would be potential customers or would most certainly know a few people. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I emailed those people just to say, hey, here's, here's my new business idea. Here's kind of what it's all about. I, I might've shown them like a very rough landing page or something. It included pricing. It included what's included. And then I was like, so just let me know what you think. I'd really love your feedback on it. And if you happen to know anyone who you think is a fit, I, I'd, I'd love an introduction. And, and out of that warm email that I sent out, I think it resulted in something like six or seven good conversations and then three paying customers out of that. And then, you know, I continued to, uh, after that I started to, to publicize it to my larger audience and, and different networks and, 
and all that. And so, um, and then it started to grow a little bit faster. And to be honest, I, I feel like the price point, I, I kind of got a little bit lucky because it, I have, I literally have not changed the pricing on audience ops since day one, which is really strange. Most, most businesses change pricing a lot and I've had, maybe that's a sign that like I should be charging more. Um, but you know, I, I just feel like it's, uh, it's one of those things that just works and it's not, I, I don't believe in, um, just increasing prices for the sake of squeezing out every penny that you could possibly get. I, I, I really believe in making it a, a good value without losing money as a business. And that's, uh, that's been working pretty, pretty well. I think one, one of the things I noticed about pricing on that is we have two plans. Uh, we call them light and standard and the light is, is around nine fifty a month. And the standard is, is like nineteen fifty a month or, you know, a thousand or 2000 a month. Mm-hmm. And the people who buy the, the top plan, the standard plan, they tend to see it as like, a, Oh, this is a really good deal. Like we would be paying a bunch more if sure. for audience ops. And then the people on the lower plan, they're usually like, all right, this is like right in line with our budget. Or, or it might be even be a little bit of a stretch for us. So it's weird. It's like the lower priced one, they're kind of reaching up to it, but the, but the higher priced one, they're, you know, uh, really affordable for them. And, hmm. and so you just want to like align the, the package with the right type of customer and, and make sure it fits. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you haven't raised prices, I think it goes to what you said earlier is that you, you went intentionally for people that you were connected to, that you knew the industry and the space and the language in which they talk and, and knew that you were solving a specific problem for them. And you, you knew all of those things going in together. You kind of put that formula together and here's the solution. You put it in front of them and said, here's the price. Is this valuable to you? Is this not valuable to you? And the fact that you got those three signups off the back of those calls and obviously continuing on several years later, obviously it's a good value, right? Like, you know, for me, like I do the podcast, right. And like, I hate post editing, (laughs) like that's just something that I don't enjoy doing. Um, So rather than me sitting there for hours on end, slicing and dicing and levels and all that stuff, which I really don't understand at all. I could pay somebody else to do that. Um, And for me, that's a value, right? And so I think that goes into really saying like, hey, this is what I understood to be the market. This is what I understood to be the proper solution. And if the price hasn't changed and you're still getting more and more customers, obviously it's working, right? (laughs) And it's producing that value. Yeah. And it, and it goes back to, um, to that thing of like, it's easier to sell and it's, it's also easier to buy, right? Like if you're a client mm-hmm. and you're a podcaster and you hate doing editing and you see somebody offering a podcast editing service, I mean, they're speaking to your pain point and it's like, yeah, like, where do I sign up? You know? Yeah, exactly. And, um, the way that I like to think about it is, or the way that I tell people quite a bit is imagine that ideal customer who you would love to be selling to just came to you and said, you know, I kind of have this business problem. I don't really know what I need. Why don't you tell me what you think I need? Which is obviously a dream. Like no client ever really does that. Right. But that's sort of your chance. If, if you just, you know, roll with this thought experiment, like just imagine that, that this fictional client came to you and said like, we, we, you know, budget is not an issue for us. Um, we want to increase our organic traffic. Like how, how would you suggest we do that? then you can put together, okay, well, if, if it were me, these are all the things that I would want to be doing. I w- these are all things that I, I would want to include in some package to say, um, 
to, to increase that organic traffic. And, 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 I, and I would price it at, at this level to make it make sense. Mm. And so, so it's like you get to custom design your, your best possible recommend, recommended package of services to solve that specific problem. And then if you, if you write that up and put it on a landing page and then you're writing copy that speaks to that person's needs and their goals and all that, then, then it should resonate. Yeah. That's a great, great exercise to go through just to kind of put yourself in that space just to see what would you say? What was the packet? What would be the ideal solution uh, to solve a problem? So um, two questions before I let you go. One, what is one fun experiment or maybe fun is the wrong word, but one experiment that you were surprised at with your pricing, if you have one that produced some unexpected result? Hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm that surprised by this, but I guess one interesting thing is that, um, so we offer, so this is an audience ops and we offer, uh, those prices that I was talking about, those, those are monthly, but we offer the option to pay on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis. Hmm. And the majority of customers actually choose the quarterly option. And that's been pretty consistent for a long time. I mean, they, they get a 10% discounted rate when you pay quarterly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but if you're on that top plan, I mean, that's, that's not cheap, you know, to, to put on a credit card. And so um, I guess that sort of surprises me, but I think it's a good thing. Uh, to offer those those options, mm-hmm. trying to think what else. Why quarterly and not annual? Um, here and there, I've we've had a, a client or two uh, pay annually, and that's more like by request. But it, mm. it, then you get into a pretty high, uh, a high price point, and mm. you know, not everyone's credit card is able to charge that much all all at the same time and things like that. And we do all of our billing through Stripe. So, gotcha. Uh, but in some select cases, when it, when it was by request. We, uh, you know, we did, we did a whole year or sometimes we did a six month thing, but, but in terms of the available options that almost every client does, it's, it's either monthly or quarterly. Hmm. So before I let you go, uh, what's up next? I know you're working on process kit and that's rolling out for the next six to 12 months. What's up? Yeah. I mean, process kit, but just, um, software in general, I, I, at this point I'm, I've literally been working on software for the last year and a half every single day first learning it i'm still learning it but but now building software designing software products every day so i i definitely see that as the next long term chapter for me um i know people sort of know me as like the productized service person and i still have that business and i have the course around it but for me the goal in all of that was to free myself up to work on new products. And, and I never would have been able to get into software if I didn't have literally 40 hours a week that I could sink myself into these courses and practice projects and stuff like that. And so, so that's been the most fun for the past year is just getting into software. And, and right now, this year, I'm very much focused on, on the process kit product. Um, but I've got a couple other little software ideas too. And, and one, one small one that I actually did launch before process kit at the end of last year was called sunrise KPI. Mm. It started as like a practice project while I was learning rails, but it was actually a need that I had, which is I wanted to get all of my key metrics, like my revenue, my traffic, my email subscribers, all that. Like I wanted that emailed to me every, every morning. Mm. Um, so I built the tool to, to do that. You can connect to your Stripe, you can connect to your Google analytics, all that. Um, 
And so, so that's like a little product that's out there. And then process kit is the big one. A couple other little ideas here. And I will, um, I'll probably be looking to hire a developer at some point kind of soon to work with me on these products so that we can ship more features at the same time. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. Sunrise was great. I mean, I, there was a couple of clients. I mean, I signed up for the free one just to kind of see what it looked like. Um, and there's a couple of clients of mine that used some of that, but they had other, you know, I was building out basically what you were building out in Google Sheets and, right. and Data Studio and things of that nature. And I was like, hey, I could just offload this to Sunrise KPI. Um, yeah. But there was just some nuances and some custom stuff that I was pulling from custom databases. And I was like, okay, well, then they're, they're kind of back at the same level, you know, but- uh, It's like intentionally very simple. And it's right. for a lot of people, it's like, it's too simple. But, you know, for me, I just wanted like some key numbers. Yeah, but I have had that request a lot. Like people wanted to, you know, generate reports for for clients. And maybe at some point I'll, uh, you know, the, I, I do like the idea of working on one product and then taking a, taking a break and working on a different one for, for a month mm-hmm. or two and then coming back. Um, and so, you know, maybe at some point I'll, I'll get back onto Sunrise and make some improvements to it. Why do you take the break, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, you know, because it, sometimes it's just you get burnt out on one project. You mm-hmm. literally look at the same screen, the same design every single day. Um but then it's also like, uh, I, you know, I hear Jason Fried talking a lot about this recently from, he's from Basecamp and, um, I think they call it like TikTok development right, right. Where, where they're like working on one thing for a while, then they're working on another thing and then they come back to the first thing. Um, and I like that idea because it, it's not like I take a break to go take a vacation. I mean, I do that too, but, <laughs> um, the, uh, taking a break and working on something else you can use different creative muscles. You're solving different problems. You're learning a whole bunch of new stuff. And then you can take all that that you learned. And, and it's like, you come back to the first project with, with fresh perspective, fresh ideas, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That no, makes sense. Awesome. Well, again, this was fantastic. Brian, where can people reach out and say thanks? Uh, yeah, my, my main site is at briancastle.com and, uh, my newsletter is there. You can, I, I send, um, uh, kind of like real time updates behind the scenes stuff, uh, to my newsletter every week. Uh, I also co-host a podcast with my friend, Jordan Gal. that's called uh, bootstrappedweb.com. I love that. When, when we're not too busy or traveling, we, we can get some episodes out there. So. <laughs> yeah, that it's one of the few podcasts that I will I, like. I subscribe to, and I will listen as it downloads. <laughs> so yeah. it's cool. great, great. <laughs> I love you guys. All right, uh, well, for everyone listening, uh, definitely we'll link up everything in the show notes. There's plethora of links there to check out. Uh, go sign up to Brian's email list. He definitely does do that behind the scenes look, which is really interesting to see how he thinks about certain things and problems over the course of a week. And he shares some insights and he says, Hey, well, yeah, I'm still figuring this out. And so, um, you know, the behind the scenes stuff is always awesome. So thanks again, Brian, for being here. Really do appreciate it and got to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jason, thanks for having me on. Uh, always, always a pleasure. And for everyone listening till next time, short time to live in the feast. If you 
enjoyed this episode, I can speak for both Brian and myself by saying that we'd love to hear the one takeaway that you got from this episode. It's super simple. In your podcast app, presumably this one that you're listening to right now, drop in a comment or review. Or go on Twitter and share it in a tweet and tag me, at Rez, and I'll be happy to pass that along to Brian as well. Hit that subscribe button too, so that you'll be the first to listen in next week when we'll be back with Jack McDade. Jack is a designer, developer, dungeon master, and creator of Statomic. We're going to talk about parody and pricing, being an 80s and 90s kid, and strategies for and against monthly and lifetime plans. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Music